the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He's angry when we complain. Because when we have that spirit of ungratefulness, just, just being ungrateful, that, that's like thumbing the nose of God. Because we need to counter blessings and we need to be grateful people and we need to sometimes maybe look deep to see the many wonderful ways that God has been good to us. Sometimes on the surface it may not be that apparent, but you look deep and you will see many wonderful ways that God has been good to you. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philippians. Today, Pastor Gary discusses the sin of being ungrateful and of living your life with constant complaints. God deserves our love and admiration, our gracious thanks and constant praise, not anger, discontentment, and ungratefulness. Perhaps you're in a moment of life where everything appears to be going wrong and you just can't seem to find any positives. We can't always change those circumstances. But we can change our bad attitude when reacting to these negative events or situations. That's what Pastor Gary wants to show you today. He wants you to realize your blessings from above, even in the face of misfortune. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Philippians chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. John the Baptist says, so there ought to be some fruit, there ought to be some some tangible evidence of that repentance. It can't just be a belief system. That might be where it starts. But behavior should always follow belief. So if you believe in Christ and if you love Jesus and if you're a Christ follower and you make that profession, it should be noticeable in your life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. George Mueller, the great 19th century evangelist, said, quote, we must work out what God in His grace has worked in. We have to work it out. And we are to work it out with fear and trembling. In other words, there should be this sober, sacred, reverential awe of God. Our faith should be a faith that is a holy and sacred thing. That we have such awe of God, 
such respect for his holy majesty, such reverence for who he is, that we take seriously the Christian walk. There needs to be, look, if the church of Jesus Christ is to ever really impact this world and to ever be effective for the kingdom, we must recapture the word holiness. We must be a people of holiness and purity. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because of what he says here in chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 15... When the early church was a little, uh, remember the early church originally was entirely made up of Jews, Jews who believed in Jesus. So the, for the first about 10 years of the early church, it was entirely made up of Jews who were believers in Jesus, believers in Yeshua as Messiah. And when the first Gentiles came to faith in Acts chapter 10, that's Cornelius and his family. When Gentiles first came to faith in Christ, it created quite a stir among the Jews. They're like, is it okay for Gentiles to get saved? We're not quite sure if this is kosher. We don't know. We don't know if this is all right for the Goyim to come into faith too. And so it tells us in Acts 15, they actually met the Council of Jerusalem, made up of some of the old surviving apostles, got together to discuss this question. Is it okay for Gentiles to be saved? And their big debate was maybe they need to follow certain Jewish rituals like circumcision was one that they mentioned in order to prove that they actually belong to us as Jews. But then they came to the realization that, wait, it's not about belonging to Judaism. It's about belonging to Jesus and Jews and Gentiles alike can have the same relationship with Jesus. So they don't have to become like us. They can go directly to Jesus. But here's where they settled it. Peter gets up in Acts chapter 15, and he says, because he's the one in Acts chapter 10 who led Cornelius and his family to Christ. And in Acts chapter 15, Peter gets up and he says, brothers, let me just say, I was there. I was there. Let me tell you the evidence for how I know that they are believers. He says in Acts 15, for God has purified their hearts by faith. Now, Peter could have said other things. He could have said, I know that they're believers because they spoke in tongues. I know that they're believers because I baptized them. I know that they're believers because they were very generous in the kingdom's work. No, 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 he didn't, didn't point to anything else except saying, for God had purified their hearts by faith. How can you see a pure heart? You can't see a pure heart. So what does he mean by that? What he means by that is there was clear evidence in the way that they lived that they were now walking in holiness. And he said, that was the demonstration that I knew that they belonged to Jesus. You and I are called to work out our salvation because God wants us to walk in holiness. God wants us to be people of purity and holiness because it honors him and then it demonstrates to a lost and dying world that we belong to him. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Have a holy reverence for God. We should be conscience stricken whenever we sin against the Lord. That is a good thing. Please do not pray that God would take away your conscience. Okay, when I was in high school ministry, when I first started in the ministry years ago, like back around the Civil War, when I, uh, when I was first in ministry, I was in high school ministry, and I had this guy come up to me, and he said, Pastor Gary, I've, I've, I've been into some pornography. Could you please pray that God takes away my guilty conscience? I said, no. I said, that's a good thing. The worst thing is when you have a seared conscience. 
So a guilty conscience is a good thing. Now the key is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that you would respond to that move of the conscience because that is God working in you to purify your heart. To say, to tap on your heart and say, hey, this is displeasing to me. I want you to walk in holiness. This is not right. So it's good to feel that conscience-stricken conviction of the heart. A guilty conscience is not a bad thing. That is a gift from God to remind you, hey, you, you need to repent of this. You need to move and walk in holiness. So when you have a conscience that convicts you, that's a good thing. And so as our conscience convicts us and testifies to us, God's spirit bearing witness to our spirit, and then we repent and we confess and we can. Look, friends, it might be a, a constant thing that you are just, okay, Lord, I keep surrendering this to you and I keep surrendering this to you and I keep, that's okay. You keep surrendering it and you keep surrendering it and you keep surrendering it because the worst thing is the day you decide, I don't really care anymore. So you keep fighting that, that battle and you keep surrendering that until God gives you that victory because he wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and to walk in holiness. But we can't overlook verse 13 either. Verse 13 is the other side of this coin. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That it is God actually working with deep within even our feelings, the will to want to follow him and the action behind that will. God is wonderfully working in us. So he doesn't just say, okay, I want you to obey me. I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and now you're on your own. He says, I want you to work that out. And while you're working that out, I'm working within. You work out, I work within. You demonstrate my work within. You show others. You walk in holiness. You have fear and trembling of me in a righteous way because of my holiness. But I'm going to, meanwhile, be working in you, and I'm going to be working through you even to the point of affecting your very will, that you will have a desire to walk with me and your actions will be influenced by my spirit as well, according to his, meaning God's good purpose. Now, you know, back in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, he, he says something similar. Back in chapter 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until, until the Lord comes again. God is at work in us, accomplishing his good purposes. What he began in us, when you came to the place of surrendering your life to Jesus, that was just the beginning. But now through the journey until Jesus comes or we die and go to be with him, whichever comes first, God is constantly at work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Paul, Paul would emphasize this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8. It says, He that is the Lord will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God at work. So I have no problem emphasizing man's responsibility and emphasizing God's sovereignty, because the two work in concert together, and the tension is preserved in Scripture, not for us to have to figure out, but for us to embrace both, because it is both. God is at work in us, and we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So, he puts both of these verses here together, wonderful verses to remind us. We have to take our walk with Christ seriously, 
This is a sacred thing. We have to honor him. We have to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. God calls us, Peter said in his first epistle, he says to be holy because God is holy. And so we need to take that into um, account. But we also should never forget that it is God working in us. He doesn't leave us alone. He works in us by his spirit, even to the point of affecting our will and affecting our action according to his good purpose. So, amen. God is good. Verse 14. Now, this is where, this is where now he's going to actually, he's going to give us some practical ways to work out our salvation, some practical ways to work out our salvation. And the first one here in verse 14 is this, do everything without complaining or arguing. So for you note takers, you can just jot that one down. I've already got this one figured out, so that's for you. (laughs) I want to have it figured out. I don't have it figured out yet because I don't particularly like the word everything. Some things I can do without complaining or arguing. Everything, really, Lord? Everything, everything. Everything, everything. Everything, everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but... (laughs) There's a complainer in all of us. We are dissatisfied. That's our sinful nature. Nothing is ever good enough. We we just complain by nature. It's the default. I mean, nobody has to teach a child to complain. We just do from birth. And we grow up and we become just big complainers. But you know, look, this is one of the things that struck down the Israelites in the wilderness. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, it says that the Israelites, remember when they were in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land? Now, God had just done this wonderful miracle of delivering the Hebrews from 400 years of slavery. 400 years of slavery. And they're in the wilderness, and it's hot. And they have sand in their shoes. And they see the same lunch meat every day. And so what do they start to do? Complain. Let me tell you something. Look, it's probably easier for us to say than actually having to go through it. But there's just a part of me that thinks, you, you guys were slaves for 400 years. Can't you be happy for a week? I mean, just be thankful for a week. Do you know that the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land should have taken 13 days along the Mediterranean coast? It took them 40 years. F- f- 40 years! 40 years! How can that be possible? Because they just, they're, they're complaining and they're walking in circles throughout the wilderness. So they're just complaining and murmuring against God. We don't like the water. We don't like the heat. We don't, we don't like, we don't like our accommodations. We don't like the food. And particularly the food. That's what, but at Numbers 11 verse 1, this is a very tragic verse. Here's what it says. Numbers 11 verse 1. They complained, that's the word, they complained in the hearing of the Lord about their hardships. And God heard and his anger was aroused. They complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, because God hears everything. They complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and the Lord's anger was aroused. He's angry when we complain. Because when we have that spirit of ungratefulness, just, just being ungrateful, that, that's like thumbing a nose at God. Because we need to counter blessings, and we need to be grateful people, and we need to sometimes maybe look deep to see the many wonderful ways that God has been good to us. Sometimes on the surface it may not be that apparent, but you look deep and you will see many wonderful ways that God has been good to you. God has been good to me. 
And if nothing else, if you can't even find a single thing to be thankful for, you know what I'm often challenged about? I wonder the many wonderful ways that God has been working on my behalf, and I don't even know it. I don't even know it. I don't even know that he spared me from that car accident. And this is how I think. And for some of you, your theology may be, that's a little... But for, I drop my car keys, and, now, and then I spill my coffee, and, then, and so it's taken me three minutes to clean up the coffee and gather my car keys by the time I get in my car. And that was the three minutes to spare me from a car accident. I mean, I, that's the way I think. I think that I don't look at little inconveniences and think, this has messed up my day. I look at it, well, okay, God's got... I mean, I'm not saying I'm the most positive, you know, Mr. Rogers all the time. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, that on a good day, that I, when I look at those kind of inconveniences, I, I truly think to myself, you know, I wonder if God was just kind of redirecting, tweaking my schedule today because he, maybe he was sparing me from something and I don't even know. So give him thanks for the things you don't even know because I bet you he's working on your behalf and on my behalf in ways we don't even see. Don't complain. Practical ways to work out your salvation. Do everything without complaining or arguing. He also says here in verse 15, keep reading, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. We'll stop there for the moment because that's the next bullet point. Another practical way for us to work out our salvation is to live blameless and pure lives. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. 1 Peter 1.15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. We are to live blameless and pure lives. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to make some mistakes. But we need to be people who are consciously and constantly aware of our choices, our behavior, and how we reflect Christ or not. And then he adds here, as you, look at the rest of verse 15, in which you shine like stars in the universe, as in which you shine like stars in the universe. So this is a, a reference, of course, to the fact that, that we live in a very dark world. We are surrounded by darkness. We live in a very dark world. Uh, Jesus would even say this in John chapter 3, uh, verse 19 to 21. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. That's a reference to himself. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So we are to shine like stars. Look, this, this, is, just, this is just a reminder to us, Matthew five sixteen. let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is not something that you you don't have to kind of force yourself. If you're living for Christ, you are going to shine like light in a dark world. But we're reminded to do this in a very practical way that we can work out our salvation, that people would see we're living blameless lives, pure lives. We're not complainers. We don't argue. And, and we're letting our light shine in a dark world. And then he adds uh, in verse 16, as you hold out the word of life, as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, so holding out the word of life is, is a reference to the gospel. He said we need to actually be giving the gospel to people. We need to be sharing the truth of Jesus with people. That's how you work out your salvation. Don't, it's not that you're it's just some belief system that you keep to yourself. Working out your salvation manifests itself in the way that you are not complaining, not arguing. You're leading a blameless life. You're pure before God, and you are shining a, a light into the dark world, and you're holding out the gospel. You're telling people about the truth of Christ. You're sharing your faith. 
holding out the gospel. Again, verse 17 and is this reference to his imminent death where he knows I'm, gonna, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That's from Numbers chapter 15. The Jews would often have an offering that they would accompany with either oil or wine to be poured out with the offering. And so this is just a metaphor. He says, look, I know I'm probably going to be dying soon. In fact, it'll be about six years after he writes this letter that the emperor Nero will behead him for his faith. And so Paul says, you know, I I, I sense I'm going to be going home soon, but I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's see if we can get to the end of the chapter here. He has some commendations now for two guys in his life, Timothy and Epaphroditus, that I mentioned a moment ago. Verse 19, he says, I I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. If you'll just glance back to the beginning of this letter, just look real quickly at chapter 1, verse 1. Notice it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Paul's in prison, but Timothy's his traveling companion. We see it in the book of Acts. Timothy joined him in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey, and Timothy is with Paul in Paul's third missionary journey as well. And he's visiting Paul in prison, and so Paul is going to send Timothy to the church at Philippi, but he commends him. He says, he says man, this guy cheers me. This guy just cheers me up. And, and he says in verse 20, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, now Timothy's not a biological son of Paul's, but Paul's a spiritual dad to young Timothy. So he has that kind of a bond with him, kind of a very close relationship, because he's, I'm, I'm like a spiritual dad to Timothy, so he's like a son with his father. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. He says, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, Paul will get out of prison, and uh, we don't know if he ever particularly visits the church of Philippi again, but he, he does get out of prison. This isn't his last letter here. And then he commends, verse 25, another guy. He says in verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now this is the, the, the book of Philippi, Philippians is the only book in the whole Bible where Epaphroditus is mentioned, and he's mentioned twice, here and again in chapter 4, verse 18. And what it tells us is that he came from the church at Philippi with an offering, a financial offering for Paul, and so Epaphroditus is the one who's telling Paul, here's the condition of the church at Philippi, just to give you an update, here's what's going on, and so Paul's very thankful for him, and he's like, you know, thank you, uh, church of Philippi, for sending him, he's like a brother to me. It's a very affectionate term. He's a fellow worker. That's, that's you know, he's commending him for a, a job well done. And he's a fellow soldier because there's a battle to be fought. There's a spiritual battle to be fought. And he says, he's your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he, verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So apparently Epaphroditus comes, visits Paul, gives an offering from the church of Philippi, and while he's there, Epaphroditus gets sick, and he almost dies. And Paul says, but thank God God spared his life. Otherwise, Paul says, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, just that expression of just like, you know, that sorrow when somebody that you love dies. 
In verse 28, he says, Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that the mantra of your heart? Are you relying on Christ to be your strength when you can't carry on? The Apostle Paul knew that the only way to get through the inevitable trials of life was to lean on Jesus, and he encourages you to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in to study the book of Philippians with us here on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary will have more to share next time. But for now, we'd like to know more about you. Would you give us a call and let us know how you discovered Cornerstone Connection or what it's meant to you? Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd like to be praying for you as well, so please let us know how we can do that. The number again, 703-771-1500. Would you do something for us too? Would you pray for your fellow listeners to Cornerstone Connection? We know that the gospel message is powerful and can change lives, but we also are aware of the enemy's attempts to stop it from reaching the hurting. Please pray that the truth is received with each broadcast and that the hearts of others would be open. Thanks for praying and thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.